0: You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We go to crappy meetings our whole career, and then we like get promoted to the person that runs the meeting, and then we just run a crappy meeting because that's how we were taught to run them.
1: Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water Podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm glad to welcome Anise Balkwill as my guest.
0: I think that's how you plan the unplanned. We have no idea what people will create. We have no idea who's going to go to which sort of visioning session.
1: Anise is the founder of the Luminous Group, where she crafts even formulas that bring engagement, sharing, and value to a whole new level.
0: I hope people don't do the same old thing that they've always done when they're in person. I hope they take a more holistic human element to it. I hope that they explore and get creative and tend to that whole human.
1: She's also the program director of the upcoming Blue Tech Forum happening on the 7th and 8th of June in Vancouver.
0: When we create space for vulnerability, that's where we can create space for innovation, creativity, wisdom sharing.
1: Have you ever attended a business meeting that seemed to drain your soul out of your body? Or have you ever happily slept in a water conference to digest a jet lag and be in good shape for the real conference content, aka the late drinks at the bar? I can't hear your answers right now, but I guess we've all been there. Yet, if we take a step back and a minute to think about it, what makes a boring event actually boring? Is it a sales pitch for some water technology disguised as a case study or a research paper? Is it the unnecessarily complex presentation of some researcher that sees this talk as his chance to shine at the end of a two-year bibliographic tunnel? Is it the monotonous voice and overloaded PowerPoint of some stressed-out speaker? Or simply the jokes your neighbors tell each other while thinking no one can hear them? Probably all of the above, sure. But again, if we further zoom out, the real problem starts to reveal itself. All of those are just consequences of conference designs made out of habits and done as we've always done it. Now, if COVID has taught us something, it's that if you want to win the attention of people vaguely engaged in some web conference, will have to be more attractive than candy Crush on their phones their children asking when they're done with working or the latest YouTube video of Mr. Beast this is how we've seen web conferencing turning on its head in under two years and drastically improving yet it still missed this bit of magic only live events can bring call it serendipity live interactions or expecting the unexpected but as long as Star Wars-like holograms don't equip all of our homes, Physical conferences will always bring this additional flavor. But only if these conferences allow it to happen, or even better, if they are designed around this additional flavor. As Anis will explain in a minute, this is tricky as an event organizer because you have to give up some control over your conference, you have to accept that you don't command the event's output, that you craft the conversation starters, but you don't rule the actual conversation. At this stage, it's easier said than done, I know. But Anise will take us through all the steps with Bluetech Forum as a case study. She'll explain why you should attend and also why not. And she'll give you three very actionable tips that you can apply from your next business meeting on to bring the conversation to a whole new level. Before we take off, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, please share this episode around you and tell your friends about that interesting water podcast led by that weird French host. And if you intend to join BlueTech Forum in Vancouver, make sure to have a drink with me to tell me what you like and even more important, what you don't like about this podcast series. I crave that honest, unfiltered feedback, so you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn at any time. Let me end that longest introduction ever and let's meet Annie's on the other side
0: For more information, visit gfps.com.
1: Hi Anise, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, there's a ton of stuff I'd like to discuss with you today. We have a full plate of topics ranging from your path to what you're doing right now for a very special portion of the water industry. Look at that teaser. I'm trying to say it without saying it. (laughs) But that all starts with a tradition on that podcast, which is the postcard. And I'd like to have a postcard from you. And I heard that you're at a place one hour away from Toronto called Dundas, if I'm right. You are right. You told me something about deers.
0: Yes. So we live in a little forested area in the valley at the bottom of the escarpment. And our backyard is basically a conservation area. And so we have a family of seven deer that live among us. It's Really common for us to wake up in the morning and see them munching on our plants in the backyard.
1: <laughs> Does that make you a Disney princess?
0: Perhaps. Maybe our children. Maybe the girls are.
1: <laughs> Actually, talking of, of girls, princess, you've been co-authoring a book called Woman Let's Rise. Yes. So I confess to you when we were having the chit-chat before starting the recording that I didn't have the time to read the full book. But that's on my reading list now. But I read your portion of the book. And your portion gives some hints at what we'll be discussing in the second part of that interview. And you're saying that humans need many people in the corner to teach them all the things. And you say that about your daughter, if I'm right, in, in the book. Yes. But I think that applies in general. And if it has to come from inside, we also need the outside. And I was wondering, how did you realize that? What was your journey to realize all of that?
0: Well, I think the moment where it all hit me I think there's been nuggets along the way but was really I think I say it in the book it's been a while since I read that is I brought her home from the hospital she was my oldest and I remember setting her down in the living room in her car seat and I looked at her you know she kind of looked back at me and I thought what the heck is happening it's just me and you here her dad was at work and I we were just like looking at each other and i thought oh my gosh it's so weird how we live and that whole realization just came flooding into me that you know you, we learned about the history where people have lived in community and there was other aunties and grandmothers and friends that were all close by to help you learn how to raise a human one of the biggest most challenging and rewarding jobs on the planet and i just remember looking around thinking where is everybody? You know, and I am quite an independent person. Anyone who knows me knows I sort of push the boundaries on being independent, and being an, you know my own person. And my parents would certainly say that's true about me. But in that moment, it just became so apparent to me that this notion of community and who she needed and who I needed—it—it it was just this amazing moment of clarity.
1: Kimberly Baker on on that microphone explained us how it takes a village to raise a child. I mean, it's the saying, but she really took it down. It's not just a saying, it's simply truth. Yeah. You mentioned this element of community, which is maybe what you explain a bit again in the book when you say that there's this element of connection between humans, which is what brings all the humans together. Would you say that is still true today or is it more true than ever? Is it exactly the same that it always was? What's your take on that?
0: I think that it's more true than ever, because we've evolved so much as a species. Well, for one, since I was born in 1980, so everyone knows how old I am, we've doubled the Earth's population. And that I remember learning that just this year, actually, thanks to Bluetech, which we'll get into that in a bit, but it really just dawned on me that it's an extraordinary amount of humans on this planet and that we've never been in this space before. And I think the common thread around all of us really is around that connection is that we all want to belong here. We each want to be known and seen, and we want to really see and know others. And I think it gets lost a lot in our regular interactions and our regular sort of transactional way that we work together, that we even exist in the community together. And I think it's more important now than ever because most of our history, we grew up and lived in really small units. And now with the internet and obviously with COVID-19 really showing us how connected we are globally and how things move in an instant, we've had so many examples of just how connected we are. And I think it's important because we act as if we're not globally, but we're sort of being reminded and how do we exist on this planet? How do we make really important decisions going forward, especially in the water industry regarding our most precious resource on the planet? How do we go forward and make decisions that are based on the importance of our connection?
1: Actually, you're saying that we are more connected than ever. makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, if we were in the good old times where it takes the village to raise the child, it means also you, you live in your village and you never go out of that village. And if I was now sitting in that village doing a water podcast, I would be the funny guy which does a weird thing and nobody's giving a damn to be polite. Yes. Whereas with this digital connection, you can find your people a bit everywhere around the world. And even a small fraction of a small thing is already an audience which fills some big rooms. There's one last element from the book, which I'd like to take at that stage, which is something you mentioned the water industry. You were working for G, if I'm
0: right. I did, yeah. I started at Xenon, for anyone who knows that journey, but a Xenon baby, and then they were acquired by GE. And then I left before they were acquired by Suez WTS.
1: And it's a food chain, and now they get acquired by Veolia, but that's another topic. (laughs) Yes, The reason why I was pointing at that is that, I guess it's not water industry specific, but I think anyone in the water industry probably has felt this experience, which you just explained in the book about business meetings, what did you realize with those business meetings?
0: I sat in hundreds of meetings in my corporate career and I often said to myself in my head and sometimes out loud, maybe to the offense of some people that were in the room, but that there has got to be a better way to do this. There there just has to be a better way. The experiences that I had in where people were trying to co-create, they were trying to collaborate, yet it was this element of driving buy-in. And so, you know, decisions already been made. We're going to see what everybody thinks about it, but we're going to go ahead with this decision anyways. And that's really a symptom of leadership from the last century. Before there was eight billion people on the planet, we could have a few people at the top making decisions, and us sort of following orders. But the world has gotten so complex and there's so many things to consider. There's so many perspectives there. The companies now are so much larger that there's complexity in all of that. And so having a very small handful of people making decisions and only having the decision-making power there is really detrimental to the growth, to the service, to the productivity, to the innovation, the creativity that's within organizations. And so I saw us holding ourselves back and I didn't have an answer. I just repeated, I think, thousands of times in my head and out loud there's got to be a better way to do this. And then outside of work, I was volunteering for something. I literally walked into the basement of this woman's house. There were some people sitting in a circle and there was a woman that took us through this planning meeting. And I didn't know what I was. Getting involved with. But the way she ran that whole meeting, it was I was talking in depth with strangers in the room. We were co creating and we were building together, and all these things were happening so seamlessly and so naturally that I knew that better way was, I, I knew I just experienced it. And so she, this woman became a mentor of mine, and this has brought me to where I am now
1: about this place you are at right now, Mm -hmm. I'll take that leadership element, which is just teased and put it in the fridge, because that's also something I'd like to discuss with you. But for now, I'd like to go to the meat of our deep dives, really the meat on the bone, which is this element of, call it congresses, conferences, trade shows, whatever. I mean, there are many of them. We've entered in the water industry, the conferences season. As we're recording, we're at the 20th of April, the Singapore International Water Week is happening right now.
0: They're just wrapping up. And I saw on LinkedIn that they're wrapping up in a really neat way. They've had the young professionals come up on the stage and comment about what they've learned and what they see to bring forward. So I just want to give a kudos to them. What a smart way to end that conference. Does
1: that mean that there are good practices to to steal? And I'm using brackets there because it's really getting everybody to the next stage.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I think I, when I saw that today, someone had posted it on LinkedIn and I thought I wrote that down and thought, what a clever way to end that conference because so, the way the person had mentioned it on LinkedIn, they had said, it was so great to hear from our future leaders about what they're thinking. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, they nailed that. Well done. So congratulations to whoever came up with that idea.
1: I didn't see that. And usually, you know, the young professional is the day before I was at those events. And then it's like you have your event within the events and you get to know the young professionals, but the real professionals don't mix because, come on, they are serious. So (laughs) it's good that they evolve on that. And maybe there's, uh, as you noted, there's some good practice to extract there. But so there's Singapore right now. There will be the Global Water Summit in Madrid. Then there will be IFAT, I guess. Then there is the Blue Tech Forum. We'll come back to that one. But that's not the end of the season. So that after that, there's Water Europe. There's, I mean, just plenty of them.
0: So many, yes.
1: Why would anyone attend one of these conferences?
0: There was probably a habit of going before. I would suspect that it was maybe good business practice. Of course, you're going to have to be seen there. There's a marketing element to it. There's lots of good business reasons to attend. But I think that those business reasons are going to have to get a little bit deeper. And then I think the personal choices, I think people are feeling this is more of a personal choice to go. Why would I attend as someone going to an event? And I think it has to start with understanding the real purpose of the event, the purpose of the event, and then the purpose for you attending. And if those two things are in alignment, then I think amazing, but we have to get better at articulating that. And I think the evolution of conferences, that there's a lot to be learned our online world so what did it really take to get connected what can we do online and what do we leave online what do we save all of the the cost to go the impact on the environment to go maybe there's a lot of things that we just let that be and then what is the purpose for really connecting in person and then crafting a conference or a forum that really serves that purpose and then people who are aligned to that purpose can come and gather and do some meaningful work together
1: I just stopped in my enumeration around Bluetech Forum. Maybe it's important to mention here. What are you doing about the Bluetech Forum yourself?
0: I've been working with Paul and his team for the last two years on some virtual roundtables that we've been doing because he called after, you know, in 2020 when Bluetech Forum was canceled, they couldn't run it, obviously, like every other conference, and said, I really think we need to gather our community. They have this really beautiful community that they tend to, that they nurture, that they share their amazing research with, all of those elements. And Blue Tech Forum was the place that they nurtured that community in person. And they didn't want to lose that for we didn't know how long at that time. And so we planned a series of two-hour virtual roundtables to have the end users in the water community really come together. So both the Municipal utility end users and then some corporate end users was the space that they wanted to nurture. Through that relationship, we were building slowly towards Blue Tech Forum, and he just asked if we could be a part of curating that event, of thinking through it through the lens of what is this post COVID. I know we're not post COVID, but you know we're gathering again with COVID in mind. How do we create this event so it feels a little? Extra special, so that we're really bringing to life the theme of the event, which is radical collaboration for regeneration. So they've taken a bold theme that's really moving from this notion of sustainability that was birthed sort of in the 80s and really moving towards regeneration. I just helped them craft the event. We've been working together and collaborating on that since about October. We're sort of getting into the home stretch now, piecing all the final elements together and welcoming all the delegates that are registering. It takes collaboration from many people to make that really successful. And Bluetech has always had that at the heart of this forum. I think it's what's made them unique and sort of stand out in the last decade. It'll be their 10th year anniversary this year, which is super exciting. And I think we, we kept up on that theme and then we've added a few new elements.
1: Let me go back a bit in time to, to those virtual roundtables because
0: mm-hmm.
1: from a technical point of view, it's probably... I might be wrong, you'll correct me, but the most difficult thing, because online, one-to-one works, that's what we're doing right now when it sounds to work. One-to-many works as well, someone giving a conference, someone giving a talk, but many-to-many, you're hurting the limits of of the technical aspect of it. How did you overcome that in this digital realm? I I know there was no other choices, but nevertheless, how did, did you overcome that?
0: Well, I took my whole business primarily was in person. So as Luminous Group, my get together, I work with leadership teams, we do things in a room. The Where I met Paul was actually an event that WEF had in person in 2016, I think was the year. And that's where we met. And in those spaces, we create something new. We set the conditions so that something can actually be created in that space with the people who are in that room and at that right time. And Paul witnessed that. I think that's why he called, because he wanted to capture like that essence and put it online. And so I'd already been working to do that because as I looked at my business, I thought, well, people still need to talk. We still need to run businesses. We still need to work. And so we have to do this online. And so I took all the elements that I know work from in person that I have lots and lots of evidence. And then I just re-engineered them to work with an online format. I've used Zoom, but I leaned into that platform and then did a thoughtful design. We want people collaborating. We want people listening to each other. We want people to be inspired. And so we created a design for the virtual roundtables and we worked them out a few times. And then we found a, a like a process that really worked. And when people come on those virtual roundtables, a lot of the response we get is, this is the best Zoom meeting I've ever been on. And everyone's been on Zoom meetings for the last two years. And so we really capture that sharing. Like we created an intimate space, one that feels safe enough to share in. We use breakout rooms. We limit how much we're talking at people, right? And really fostering that communication and that real learning from one another so that each person that is involved or invited to a roundtable they have a responsibility to make this event really great. And so we built it all in that spirit and it's worked really well.
1: But would you say that the digital experience was the best you could do given the the conditions? Absolutely. Is there something from these digital gatherings that you can bring back home when we Mm -hmm. go back to this face-to-face physical meetings?
0: I think there's a benefit for both of them. So when you do a virtual roundtable... You can do them with everyone all over the globe. Any meeting that you want to do, you can do that easily all over the globe and not have people flying in and out. If you want to do something, though, that does take a few days to do, because there are things in the world that just take a few days to do, then those ones are much better done in person. I think online, there's a limit for how long you can be online. I have a few rules on how I'm designing and when I'm working with teams that I don't do anything longer than three hours because when, you know, with breaks and and a proper design. But if you really want to dig in, make really meaningful connections, and you know that it's going to take more than that or maybe even more than a series of like three-hour, you know, you could do three-hour sessions, three days in a row. Like that, you can accomplish a lot doing it that way as well. When you do get in person though, it's like, then what are we gonna do with that? I hope people don't do the same old thing that they've always done when they're in person. I hope they take a more holistic human element to it. I hope that they explore and get creative and tend to that whole human I hope that they're taking full advantage of practicing creating safe space so that the wisdom of their organization or their team or the conference can really emerge. You know, are we tending to all of those design elements because when you're in person I think those are the richest moments and you want them to be memorable and you want that experience to be a little bit transformative if people are going to travel if they're going to leave their little ones at home and you know their spouse to take care of, to take care of everything on their own when we're really used to doing it together right over these last 2 years we're really used to doing that together and so yeah I think some thought really has to be put into when we're gathering in a more holistic sense than we have before
1: You're mentioning the design. So does that mean that the full pressure of doing better lies on the shoulders of the organization? Or does it also involve the people participating in that, the the audience or the speakers?
0: Always both, always both. And the more we can lean into both, and the more that we can, there's this principle that I work with from Dr. Angelis Arian, It is when we gather everything that would have happened is all that could happen. I totally butchered that. I don't know why it's not totally coming to me, but it's this idea that if you leave the meeting or you leave the conference and you're unhappy with it, you wish you would have talked about something, you're angry at the design, whatever, then it's your responsibility in that room to do something about it. It's your responsibility to contribute. And then it's the responsibility of the organization to design in such a way that can actually come to the surface. Sometimes when I share this, this principle is this acceptance of everything that happened in the session is all that could have happened in that moment of time with the responsibility that people were willing to take with the design of it. Right. So some people say it's like a cop out, you know, they're like, you're not holding people up, you know, strong enough to come and and tell them what they're responsible for. I say, but you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for contributing. You're responsible for caring enough for the purpose that you're gathering to contribute wholly. And if you're not, if there's psychological safety issues, if the design isn't right, then You have to speak up. You've got to alter the design. You've got to make a shift. You have to make it worth it. You can't, you know, if you leave there irritated, angry, disappointed, that responsibility has to be on each of us. I think we're past the point of taking a passive approach for anything that we're gathering to.
1: But that is dangerous when you're in your position as an organizer, because that means basically the the audience can steal the show and decide to do something totally different from what you've expected.
0: Yes, And that's what I help organizations with the most. I think that is a question. What do you help leaders with the most? And I really think the answer um, is letting go of control, is really tapping into the organizational wisdom. We're maybe tapping into 20% of the organizational wisdom or the conference wisdom, the wisdom that's in the room at any gathering location. The problems that we're facing in the world, we just think about the water industry alone. Let's leave like COVID and all the other things that are happening in the world. But let's think about water we cannot afford to not tap into the 80% of the wisdom that we're missing because of design, because of practices, because leaders are used to being in control and are used to being the experts that know everything, right? That's just a – it's just a paradigm. So it's no one's fault, but this old paradigm is like, I'm the leader, I'm the boss, I'm going to design this, and I know exactly how it's supposed to happen. But in my experience, when we gather – and we gather on a common purpose, and we might even know what the common vision is. We can start from that place, but then we must allow the wisdom of the room to emerge. And does that feel uncomfortable and feels like it goes off the rails? You know when you're in a meeting and they write that parking lot? <laughs> They're like, this is for the parking lot. And they put everything in that parking lot because it's off topic. Well, well, put that in the parking lot. Put that in the parking lot. All of your solutions, all of your innovative ideas. All of your problems, solving capacities are in that parking lot. So we got to get better at excavating that parking lot. We've got to make space to have that wisdom emerge, and the water industry needs it like like no one else, right? So but it's a tricky, it's a tricky path. It feels hard to let go of that control.
1: But isn't it intimidating for an industry like the water industry, which is full of engineers? not maybe very confident in behaving, in speaking in public, not behaving. And now I'm sounding like we are all from a cave.
0: It's not the case. <laughs> we know how to yes. behave in
1: society. That, that's do. okay. Yes. But speaking in front of a room of very knowledgeable people, mm-hmm. and most of them have very impressive resume because, yeah, there's like a, a pedigree when you look at the attendees of this kind of events. Definitely. That can be intimidating. How can you create this confidence, this atmosphere of confidence so that, they feel empowered to speak up. Do you have a special trick which you can share to people that would maybe not come to Vancouver, but would like to steal that from you?
0: I do have two things that I can share. Anyone who's worked with me before is probably rolling their eyes because they know I, I do this again and again. But is we work with the whole human. So if you only engage with the pedigree aspects of a human, It can feel really intimidating because they're an expert in their lane and, you know, whether it's their PhD that they've gotten or their 25 years of wastewater experience or whatever that might be, when you only engage there, it's challenging to find relatability. It's challenging to find connection because who connects with that? Maybe somebody else of the same pedigree, but maybe not. Our connection comes from our vulnerabilities And so whenever we can create an aspect where we can share our vulnerabilities, you start to create a a level playing field or one where everyone feels like they belong. And when everyone really feels like they belong, they share their ideas. So sharing our creativity, sharing an idea is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do because a new idea that comes from inside of us. Like deep inside of us, right, comes from a combination of our learned experience, of our learnings, our knowledge, our experience. It comes from our failures. It comes from our successes, and all of that is wrapped into this like this new idea that we're sharing. And so, when we create space for vulnerability, that's where we can create space for innovation, creativity, wisdom sharing. The first thing that I do, whenever I can, is people are sitting in a circle. There's no table in between them. So right away, we're looking at each other when we talk. We don't have anything to really like protect ourselves. And so everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's always very uncomfortable at first, but by noon or the next day, you know, people can't wait to get back into that circle. And so physically we can do that. And we can do that with our leadership teams, people listening. Like you can do that with your normal team meetings when you're back in person it's so just, remove the tables? Or just pull the chairs around to somewhere where you can just, sometimes it's only eight of you, right? Just sit around in a circle and then your laptops aren't open in front of you because on a table, they're usually open, right? And that's signaling to people that I don't really need to be here. It's more important for me to be somewhere else. So presencing, being fully present is the first way to do that. And the circle really supports that. And the circle also says, we, it, it, we are equals. We all matter. We all belong here. And it also reminds us of our ancient history and our roots of how we've always communicated as humans. It's only been recently that we stopped gathering in circle, right? So We're back to the
1: village, which is sitting together around the fire or around the the, the main tree of the village or something like that. Yeah,
0: Yep. So that's one way that I do it. Another way is we do a transfer in to the space. So I have a process that sort of involves cards and things I'll show you them at Blue Tech forum but it's a way to help people transfer into the space because we all come from a busy day we come from a you know a busy morning might be dropping off the kids you might be running late you know there might have been traffic on the road whatever and do we just give time to transfer into the space that in a way that's meaningful so when you gather you know sometimes just a simple question like I use a card to say, what does the card tell you about whatever? But it might be about just why you chose to participate in this meeting, why you chose to come to this conference. And then what it does is it tunes you into a deeper answer that's not just your default answer. Ah, my boss told me to come, or I, I felt like I had to be here, mandatory. You know, it just gives people a minute to say, like, why am I here? What is the purpose of this? Why does this feel important? And it really transfer into the space. And then the third thing I do is I always ask for hopes and fears. So what are the hopes and fears around this challenge that we're talking about, this growth phase that we're co-creating together, this new market that we're developing, whatever, What are our hopes and fears? And many people want to say, well, can we just talk about risks and opportunities? And I say, no, because you put your financial hat on and then I don't actually hear about your hopes and fears. (laughs) I just hear about the financial risk and the potential financial opportunity. But I want to know what are people really worried about? What are they fearing? And then what are they hoping for? And when we start airing those, we don't make assumptions about what are we hoping for? We know what they are and we know collectively what they are. We also know what some of those fears are. And we just work with the level of trust that's in the room. Because I can't pretend to fix it or or build it better, but that act alone of doing hopes and fears again and again, you build trust. You allow people to be vulnerable about what their fears are. And then what happens when we see our fears with our eyeballs, we can read them on a piece of paper, it starts to take their power away because they're so powerful. We will dictate behavior based around an unspoken fear. But if it's spoken, we've done the hard work of it. We can now look to it. We can say, remember that fear that is coming up right now? (laughs) What are we going to do about it? Instead of no one talking about it, even if they're recognizing it.
1: In the context of a conference, I see the hopes. I imagine what it could be when I see the program of Blue Tech Forum, seeing the speakers which align all of them, I would have a lot of hopes. Mm -hmm. I don't see an example of a fear. What would be the typical thing, if there's any, which you hear in terms of fears?
0: I think there's one, if I can use your example, is the fear of leaving your brand new little one at home, right? That fear That's of, a good one. <laughs> you know, wondering how your partner's going to be juggling three children at home. It could be the fear of creating a big environmental footprint. It could be the fear of leaving the conference and not making any meaningful connections. It could be being at the conference and feeling like you don't belong. Am I good enough to be there? Do I have enough credentials to show up? Is anyone going to talk to me? It could be, I don't know, you might have a dietary issue. I know for me, I'm always like, are they going to have a vegan option? (laughs) right? And these seem silly, but they're really personal. And they're really, they're real. And I think people are going to make decisions about whether they're going to go or not, you know, on some of these concerns. They're going to really think about them.
1: So that was the, um, the perspective of the attendee. We had a bit of the perspective of the organizer with what you explained, how you're creating that environment and how you have to give up a bit of your control of mm-hmm. what's happening because you're designing it to, to go uncontrolled by design, which yeah. is counterintuitive, but very interesting as an <laughs> approach. There's a third part in that triangle, and that's the speaker. I'm wondering, you know, there are so many examples nowadays. Everybody can see the best TED Talks they are. Mm -hmm. And then you look at those people, which in eight minutes convey much more than you will in two hours of slides and whatever. And you're like, if the event has to now come to that level, that means that me as a speaker, if I go on that stage, maybe there's no stage, you'll tell me, Um, but (laughs) I'll need to to live up to those expectations, doesn't that put a big pressure on the speakers as well? And how can they mitigate that? Or how can they be as good as that audience deserves it?
0: Mm -hmm. So we've spoken to the keynote speakers that we have, which is a fantastic lineup. And what we've asked of them is to, to really speak about what means the most to them. Because I really think that's where inspiration comes from, is really what is the most meaningful for them so that they're not trying to craft a message to suit the audience, but really to allow their passion, their own motivation for this topic that they're sharing, let that be the inspiration for the audience. So authenticity, just show up with their most genuine self, their most authentic self, and speak to what has the most meaning for them is, I believe, what has the most meaning on the audience.
1: Let me be the devil's advocate here. I'm sure when you were still at GE or at Zenon, you've been mm-hmm. probably visiting some conferences and trade shows. And all these conferences, they, they have sponsors and they have people exhibiting. And usually it's part of the sponsor package to get your fair share at presentations. So let's say we're in the water industry, let's say I'm an activated carbon company. And uh, I just sponsored your show, which means I'm going to stand up on that stage and I'm going to explain the full word, how my activated carbon is the best there there was, there is, and there will ever be. (laughs) But chances are that in all honesty, that's not what's the most important for me. No, That's just my job and I can love my job. It's probably still not the most important for me to say that my specific surface is 20% higher than competition. So what's the place for this commercial part of mm-hmm. the, the event?
0: So there's a few places. So that we are working with amazing sponsors. And they also believe in the spirit of Bluetech Forum, which is really to make meaningful connections to have really meaningful conversations and everyone actually from the sponsor perspective is really excited about what are the next steps after blue tech forum they really believe it's a place that we can plant some seeds and that we can grow them and nurture them ongoing so there's already some momentum built around that. So we have sponsors who are are in line with that. They introduce some of the different roundtables. So there's four roundtables over the two days. So it's a highly interactive program. And there's, you know, almost three hours of keynote speakers, really with that inspiration thread. But every element is introduced by one of the sponsors. So they do get their time. They do get their time to share a little bit about maybe a cool project that makes sense for the people here. So it's a solutions oriented. It's like, what can we, they're sharing, what can we show you what's possible? They're sort of share in that element, what's possible so that we're plant always thinking about planting seeds, generating new ideas, seeing what's possible that maybe wasn't possible before. So we give our sponsors a chance to share from that perspective. And then there's the innovation showcase, which does have a totally commercial element to it, which are the ones that they are vetted by Blue Tech by their analysts and the Blue Tech team, and they show the most promising water technology going forward. And so there's opportunity for them to interact. We do um, an innovation showcase where they get to you know talk. It's, it's all designed. They get to talk for a minute, pitch their their case study, and then there's a roundtable so people can go and interact with them and learn more and understand what their needs are, where some partnerships might be. So the entire two days is really built around inspiration and then practical working relationships where can we radically collaborate to make a huge impact to move towards that regeneration lens so that's been thought about through the entire design of the program
1: if i keep my devil's advocate hat on for a minute mm-hmm. i'm just looking at the the program right now you have i mean you mentioned the the keynote speakers and and honestly, it, it, it's just impressing the lineup you have there. I mean, from Mino Holterman, which said he would be on that podcast but I didn't catch yet. Maybe <laughs> I catch him in Vancouver to sure. Gary White. You mentioned the startups and, and that is an exciting field. You, you mentioned it's commercial but at the end of the day enduring a one minute speech from a company which is at the pulse of what's happening out there is more of a A deep dive into a fascinating area than something really commercial. but And nothing against activated carbon. Don't take me wrong, but (laughs) let me stand with my case. Chances are, if I'm in the business of activated carbon, I'm not a startup because that's existing for decades. Chances are as well that I'm not a superstar like Menno Holterman. How do I fit in such an event?
0: Sure. But you're also needed in the solution. Just because Activated Carbon has been around a long time, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a place in the water industry. It has a huge place in the water industry. And so coming, hearing about those thought leader roundtables, you know, and the innovation showcase, they're really sharing where are we going in the water industry. And I think the Activated Carbon company or individuals, they have a voice at where it's going and they have a voice about how they can help and how they can participate And they might form a new relationship with a partner that they never even thought to talk to them. But because they ended up at the same roundtable, you know, there's a bit of a serendipity in that is that you get to decide which roundtables you have choice, right? So which roundtables do I want to go to? And then who else is interested in these roundtables is a perfect recipe for starting a new relationship, starting a new partnership, maybe talking to someone about being a potential new client or vice versa. So I think that there's a place definitely for everyone in the water industry at an event like this, because it's going to take new partnerships, new collaborations, new relationships, new ideas to really to carry us forward, especially at the rate that we need to move at.
1: You mentioned serendipity, and that is a very interesting one. I recall a conversation I had with Annette Boss from Aquatech when we were at, at Aquatech, and she was mentioning that to her, there's only one word to, to fit everything they tried to do at Aquatech, and that was serendipity. I get the concept, but when I look at the definition of serendipity, which I looked up in, in Wikipedia, which I already did at Aquatech in front of Annette, it's an unplanned fortunate discovery. Which brings me with a riddle. How do you plan the unplanned?
0: I think that's sort of what we do. At Luminous, and I think Blue Tech has these elements as well is that we plan for those unplanned. We don't know exactly who's going to show up at Blue Tech Forum, but we have created topics, themes, ideas. We have this cool future scenarios visioning workshop that's sponsored by Kimira and really inspired by their future scenarios report. I don't know if you've read that, but it's a, a really interesting piece of work that they've did that has inspired us again and again. And so we're going to do a visioning session around things that really matter, things like a water optimized city. What does that look like in the future? What does an optimized water basin look like and who's participating in that? And how are we getting there? We're going to have some people from the 50 liter home coalition there. So what does a 50 liter home in Vancouver look like? And then we're going to leave that for the city of Vancouver to just, to fuel some of their ideas and their conversations about their planning going forward? What do we want to do as an industry to bring messages forward to you know, the United Nations Water Summit in 2023 or to COP27? How do we stand up as an industry and really share more as we need to be doing? So that visioning session is really going to start having people discuss what's in that future. And I think that's how you plan the unplanned. We have no idea what people will create. We have no idea who's going to go to which sort of visioning session that they want to be at, which one will they participate in. And the people in the room won't know who's going to be there either. And so there's all this design for some serendipity to happen, for something unexpected to come out of you know something that we've thoughtfully planned.
1: Let me try to do an exercise. Uh, we've been Discussing a bit now, back and forth, how you plan all of that. I guess, as I mentioned, we are end of April. That's the the point in time where the opinion of people might crystallize on the show they will attend and Mm -hmm. they probably cannot attend all of them. If you had to nail it down to two arguments, only two, Hmm. what would be your two arguments to go to Bluetech Forum?
0: I think that the level of thought and interaction that you'll have those meaningful discussions I think is not replicated anywhere else. I think Blue Tech just really has this long history of making that really meaningful. And then I also think that with a few of the elements that we've designed, including that visioning workshop, I'm sure that you're going to leave Blue Tech Forum saying, "I've never done that at a conference before." I think you're going to leave with that memory of it being unique, it being really meaningful, hopefully a bit transformative. And you're going to leave with a memory that I don't think you're going to forget.
1: So that was the positive side of it. It's good reasons to go there. Yeah. When I was discussing with, with Paul some, some month ago, he mentioned how he craves the work of Seth Godin. And what Seth Godin is saying in his various marketing books is that you have to be quite exclusive on your super fans. They have to, I mean, it's more excluding the ones which are not really your people and really concentrating on the ones which are your people. Hence... That kind of weird question I would have, which is, if you have something to tell people and to help them not to go to Blue Tech Forum, the the thing which should make the decision, if, if they feel that, then that event is not for them. Sure. What would you say?
0: Well, I think there's always the personal element. So personal life has to sort of trump these decisions, I think. And so if you have something going on in your personal life, and a lot of us have a lot going on right now that needs your attention I would say choose your personal life and you know take good care of that first but from a conference perspective I think if you're if you want to go to a conference and you want to sit and just take in information and not really participate and not engage and that's okay because sometimes we just want to go somewhere and we just want to learn a bunch of information and I think there's a great reason for that then blue Tech you know, forum might not be your favorite conference to go to, right? If that's your intention. But if your intent, you know, so if your intention isn't to connect, participate, you know, really engage for a couple of days, then, you know, then you can just choose a different one.
1: So we need to have some headspace. You don't need to come with your brain already full with whatever should take you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And you must be ready to give in the concept, which is that you will be participating. You'll, you're going to be experiencing this I guess radical collaboration it's in the name yes so um I have two additional elements one from the discussion with Annette Boss in Aquatech because I was asking her if she was thinking that would be like a hybrid event like Aquatech is physical but there's an online event and to me she would obviously answer yes of course and it was the exact opposite she said no there's no live event at all no no online thing your weather in Amsterdam or you're not in Amsterdam, but there's no in-between. What's your position on
0: that? I think depending on the purpose of the conference, depending on the size of the conference, I think that you could build a hybrid conference if you wanted to. I think that it takes a bit more thought, takes a lot more planning. But I think if you wanted to engage a global audience, even if it's for just a portion, you could do a thoughtful design around that. For Bluetech, we were decided early on that we were going to be you know, gathering. And Bluetech, you know, there's probably 250, 300 people there. There isn't thousands of people. So for us, the whole point of the in-person made sense to just keep it completely in-person. But I think for larger events, I think you will start seeing a bit of hybrid. I think that there will be elements that you can share. I think that there's, you know, keynote speakers that you could stream live or they could sign up for maybe, it wouldn't even have to maybe be live, but you could sign up for something that you could get, post-conference or there's you know I think that you're going to see more and more of that so people can grab some pieces out of it so I think you can make it both work depending on your purpose and goals for it
1: but given the shape of Blue Tech and what you intend to do there it's going to be physical it's not a hybrid you it's have to be there
0: correct it's not a hybrid you have to be there yeah
1: which leads me to my second question you know there's this saying what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas I get the live event element but you know I'm podcasting, which means it's non-linear mm-hmm. and I intend to be in Vancouver at Blue Tech Forum and I'm wondering if I start telling the word about what happened in Vancouver, catching some opinions of people, making a summary of whatever, am I somehow breaking the magic of whatever you want to build there? Because what what happens in, in Vancouver doesn't stay in Vancouver anymore because I'm sharing the word.
0: And I don't think anyone wants it to stay in Vancouver. I think that if there's going to be some exciting elements coming out of Blue Tech Forum, and I think we want other people to know that just because they couldn't make it in person, there's an opportunity for them to participate and belong as we move forward with some of those initiatives.
1: Okay, I guess that's in line with. Um the name of the lighthouse awards, there's lighthouse in the elements, which means it, sh- it shall be shining towards the world, I guess.
0: Yes, that makes about sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what we're aiming towards, is that even if you can't come, it doesn't mean that you can't participate down the road.
1: In all honesty and transparency with you, I was already very hyped about Blue Tech Forum, and you managed to make me a bit more hyped, which is an interesting concept. In French, we say counting the dodo, which would be like the nights, I'd have the sleeps, I'd have to wait yeah. for it, but in, in a childish manner. Yeah. So je, je that's, that's...
0: My, my <laughs> family is French. And so my dodo was always, you know, time for dodo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd like to come back to what I've put in the fridge a bit earlier, mm-hmm. this element of leadership. So you mentioned that you're working on the Bluetech Forum preparation since October, and you've been working before on the Bluetech roundtables. Yes. But whenever you're not doing one or the other, you're helping leaders and you inspired one more question when you mentioned this element of this 2080 and that the leaders will have to give away and allow people to speak in again i'm taking it from the devil's advocate angle do you meet people that resist that and say no i'm the manager of that team at the end of the day i'm the one in charge don't bother trying to reduce my
0: power. Yes, but they haven't usually actively sought me out. (laughs) So, So usually the leader that I'm working with knows that they're ready to allow the organization to grow more or allow their team to grow. And they're just, they're not quite sure how to do it. And they know that leadership's changing and there's a push pull, right? There's a, there's, people who are trying to really grasp onto control. And the more chaotic the world gets, the harsher they want to control because it's we think it feels better, right? So there's that sort of reaction. And then there's what happens when we start to release control? And what happens when we start to really empower our teams and make decisions closer to the customer? And do we believe that we're all trying to fulfill that the same purpose? So they're usually... They understand the need to sort of go down that route and they're not quite sure how. There might be members of their team um, who are quite resistant to it and so there's this fine sort of delicate path of continually meeting people where they're at and we don't have to have someone jump from where they're at to 20 steps ahead. We just – where do they want to go? And so each person, even if they're resistant – you get curious about where do they want to go, right? You just engage with them. Well, what would feel better to you? When we talk a lot about feeling, what would feel better? And when we're practicing those hopes and fears over time, we start to really understand what's causing some of that. And and there's solutions in unraveling that. You can start to see those solutions start to emerge. So- it's not so much a fight or, you know, well, you must do it this way. You mu- I, I say, no, let's co-create together where you want to go. So let's, but let's just be conscious of it. Let's not do it from default. So there's usually this practice of moving from their default mode to their more consciously desired mode. And I just help them find some ways to move in that direction and then to allow others to do the same.
1: Do you do that one-to-one with the leaders? Do you do that with the team? How do you work?
0: I do a little bit one-to-one, but we primarily work as the team. And so we, I teach them how to – f- I'll facilitate, you know, some meetings, whatever. We always do it through the lens of the work at hand. So I never want to be meeting with someone on this, like, leadership stuff. I want to say, no, what's the work at hand? And then let's tend to the leadership stuff as we do the work. And so it's always meant to be around something super productive. And we just work in that. We just show different ways that you can access – new ideas. And the first time I did this, and my background, I'm an engineer too. So I was trained just like everybody I'm working with. And I tend to work with technical people because I think there's just an attractor field there. Is that I was working with a company and they were working on their, the next idea for this product that they had. And they had already had two brainstorming sessions and they came up with nothing. So they were really worried. And this was just after I met this person in the basement and someone said, hey, can you help facilitate this conversation? So this is when I was still at GE. And I said, yeah, you know what? And I have this like new way to do it. So we we did it. We booked three days, the whole thing. And what we came out with at the end of that was 15 concepts to present to senior management and four of them became fully funded R&D projects. And so it wasn't that we didn't have any ideas. We just didn't know how to create the conditions for those ideas to come out. So I work in the team so that people can see that See evidence of it, build their own evidence, and then it increases their willingness to practice some new ideas and to shed some of the old default modes that they had simply because, you know, we go to crappy meetings our whole career and then we like get promoted to the person that runs the meeting and then we just run a crappy meeting because that's how we were taught to run them. It's not really done on purpose. And so understanding when we need to co create, what do we do? When we need to inform, what do we do? And then understanding. That when we decide consciously whether we're informing or co-creating, we're building trust. When we're pretending to co-create, when we really just want to inform, we're eroding trust. And so we just take them down a more conscious path of how to you know, engage with their teams and how to engage with their business units.
1: I don't know if you know that book, but to me it was a transformative experience to read it. It's called Creative Confidence. It's written by the, the, the Kelly brothers.
0: Hmm. One
1: of them was the, um, the head of... I'm terrible with names today, so it's going to be difficult. Um, I'll put it in the notes of the episode. But sure. it's about this unthinking, but also the creative approach and and the way... If you believe you will not be able to do it, then you will not be able to do it. And then you have that G case where you can be brainstorming and just have that white sheet. Yes. And whatever, And that's exactly what you said, actually, about this weakness and, and vulnerability And saying maybe the first idea is shitty and (laughs) it's fully okay and maybe the 21st ideas are, are okay and it's still okay because then you get your creative muscle working and then you can start just really brainstorming and not just thinking what will they think if I come with that weird concept. So- yes.
0: And you can only do that in an environment that's psychologically safe and that there's people who are practiced at no judgment.
1: He was the head of IDU. I'm sorry. It's just the, the way my fuzzy brain works today. <laughs> it's like I get the, the the answers to my own questions like 20 minutes. So <laughs> if you're still with me in 40 minutes, I'll find you the name of the speaker I was referring to um, <laughs> when I froze. Sorry, I didn't intend to cut you.
0: No, that's okay. But So there's these conscious practices as leaders that... The world is ready to embark on, and people can feel it, and we are just having people going first. And so we tend to work with the leaders who want to go first, and we just help them co-create the path that is authentic to them, that is actually taking them to their desired state of leadership instead of some of their default modes that they feel are no longer serving them, the business, their team, their customers.
1: I would have two last questions for you in, in, in the deep dive. The first is, what is the mission of the Luminous Group? What do you want to achieve?
0: Oh, that's a great question. We are a purpose-driven business, and it's really all about helping people learn how to connect, how to have meaningful conversations, because we know it's in that space that our future is consciously decided instead of subconsciously created. So we want to teach the world how to have meaningful, brave, vulnerable, real conversations about you know, well, I think about water, but really about anything, because that's where their genius lies. That's where their wisdom is going to take us forward.
1: And what's your metric for success with regards to that goal?
0: We have so many. In every facilitation that we do, we have a closing circle. And it's often stated in that closing circle. (laughs) The metrics come from a leader who texts us and says, you won't believe what my team did. They're so awesome, Rena, you know, because they've released control. And so they come in all of those, I mean, they're sort of measured, but they're tangible ways. There's stories that come back. There's, you know, I have one client who I adore. And the work that they did and the skill set that they built really led them on this really powerful transformative journey. It was a four-year journey. And and we don't know that right out of the gates, but They come back and they share those stories with us. And so we know they're using those skill sets again and again to work the magic in their own space, in their own industry, with their own team.
1: And so my second and last question, and um, here I award you a joker and I'll tell you why. I couldn't help but notice that you're a woman. I started that that podcast now 84 episodes ago with the intention to be a 50-50 show and I failed miserably. <laughs>
0: the water uh, industry The last is time tricky. I counted and I decided <laughs> to stop
1: counting I was at 85-15 which means I'm even below the water industry standard because mm. if I'm right by the latest numbers it's 17% of women in the water industry. And you've been quartering a book called "Woman Let's Rise mm-hmm. and I know it's not a manifesto for women to, to be there it's more giving them positive reinforcements of examples of what they can be doing in life and I'm just wondering, what are we doing wrong? Are we doing something wrong so that we don't tap into half of the talents out there and only get a fraction of all that potential?
0: Yeah, this is a really important question. And I think the pandemic has shed a lot of light on this, to be honest. I think that the way we've thought about work traditionally has really been through a masculine lens. because. That's primarily who built up the workforce. And we now carry on traditions in our organizations that are like 100 years old, right? We still set up the sales team the way the sales team set up and they have to travel 95% of the time. Well, I'm sorry, but like a working mom can't travel 95% of the time, right? Like you have children, that mom can't go, right? So there's a lot of things that we do historically simply because that's the way they, we started doing them, right? And you have to remember that corporations aren't that old. Really, in the whole grand scheme of things, right? We're still kind of new at this whole thing. And just because we got started that way doesn't mean we have to continue that way. And so, just like so many of the systems that we're seeing crumbling around us, we're seeing, you know, in the education system, the social systems, in so much of the inequity is really not because we're doing it on purpose. It's just like how we set it up originally. And our first shot was like kind of crappy. Right? It's kind of like that first idea was kind of crappy. And, you know, we have to really give ourselves permission to go beyond that. So, what are we doing wrong? I think what we're doing wrong is we're not listening enough. I think we're not listening to the needs of our employees. And I think, you know, as we're talking about, do we go back to hybrid offices? We're not listening closely enough we're trying to grip onto control because that's what we know and that's what we've done but i think we really need to listen and get really curious about what do our systems and our businesses really need to look like and how do they need to be set up so that we are tapping into the full wisdom and into not only like male female but in all of our um you know how do we really have more humans at the table with more perspective, with different experiences, because that wisdom's really needed. So I think listening is a huge one. We think we don't have time to listen. It's not true. I think we're in trouble if we don't get listening. So
1: It's a brilliant answer. Thanks a lot. Let me just explain why I was ready to grant you a joker. It's it's unfair that I'm raising that question only when I have a woman on the show. Mm. I'm trying to raise the same question when I have a male guest, but in all honesty, it's almost 100% that that question shows up when there's a woman. It's not 100% when there when there's a man. And it just struck me because you mentioned that we have now three kids at home. Mm-hmm. And that's quite fresh, <laughs> if I may say so. <laughs> and usually, I'm participating in a dance show in, in, in June every year. I'm not dancing. Oh. But my wife does, usually. Awesome. And And we are acting this year. And everybody was turning to her and saying, are you sure you will? Because, you know, you just gave birth and what would we do with the baby? And I'm there on the same scene, doing the same thing. No one asked me that. I'm like, that's just not fair. And, but, and people don't think they're doing anything bad or negative or whatever. It's just the way things are. But hopefully we'll get into that element of listening to the needs. To, and I, I guess even me, if I was to return now to 95% traveling, wouldn't be ready for that. I mean, yeah. We have to live with the changes that have happened over the past two years, which is what you're doing with the conference, which is what you're doing with whatever you do, and which is also what we have to do as an industry and and even zoomed out from that.
0: Yeah, I think the desire to really go back to normal is one that is from a unique, from a particular perspective. I don't think the majority wants to go back to normal. I think the majority wants to forge a new normal, one that works a bit better for more people. And I think we have to co-create that together.
1: Well, that makes for an awesome conclusion to that deep dive. I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions.
0: Oh, sure. It's time for the rapid fire questions.
1: So in that last section, I'm presenting you short questions, which aim for short answers. I'm not cutting the microphone, but you'll notice that anyways, if someone is sidetracking, as you would have noticed for the past hour, it's me. <laughs> so <laughs> my first question would be, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why?
0: Well, Bluetech Forum is super exciting. And I think I've told you all the reasons why, but the reasons for me is that I get to hug, hopefully with permission, so many people in June. So that's, I think, the most exciting for me is that I get to see people. I'm probably going to be a crying mess when I first get there because I'm so excited to see humans in person and hug friends that I have not seen and friends that I've only made virtually. I can't wait to see them. So I promise I'll ask permission first before I hug you, but I'm ready to dole out some hugs.
1: Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way?
0: Oh, just one? I feel like all the things I've learned the hard way... Do we, do we learn any other way? If there's an easy way to learn, like send it over to me. But I think everything was hard from my engineering degree to, you know, changing careers and deciding to do that. You know, whenever I do the hardest stuff, it equals me in the fetal position crying for a couple of weeks, I think. So that's my learning process. (laughs) If you have an easier one, you can let me know. I feel like all the things I've learned about leadership. Yeah, that's brought me to here. It was all the hard way. Parenting, everything was hard. Worth it, but hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years?
0: I think that I've. it's kind of been a one-woman show for this most part. And I think in 10 years, it won't be that. I think I'm going to have a team around me, so I won't be working solo as much anymore.
1: What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector?
0: So I'm not really the expert to say this, but I have... Been involved in so many interesting conversations, primarily through Blue Tech, and then through a few of my clients in the water space, and I really think that the holistic approach to water, understanding that it's super localized, understanding that water basin health, and who needs to be collectively responsible, who needs to join, you know, collaboratively to really solve for that, to really serve, you know, the planet and all the humans on it. I really think that's a big trend. And I hear more and more willingness and excitement to be involved in that and people who really feel that it's their collective responsibility. So, yeah, that one feels important to me.
1: If you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the World's Water Challenge?
0: I think just getting it on the agenda in a real way, you know, regularly, not just as this backdrop. And I think having it as one of the platforms that we're actually standing on would be the first thing that. It actually matters and we have to really take action on it quickly. So I think working with other nations to really elevate this conversation and to really get into action and start experimenting and start allowing funds to go into that direction that let's go experiment let's go figure this out let's tackle these the toughest hit basins let's turn this around and show some evidence so that the rest of the world can follow and those partnerships can grow
1: and finally if you had someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that same microphone who would you recommend me
0: well I'm thinking of women of course so I have two in mind by the way
1: that, that's that is really something I spotted which is whenever I have a woman on that microphone she recommends Woman. Yes. Which is awesome because I'm really, as I said, very far from from my starting point thesis, which was that 50 50. So, so thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Karin Rouge, she is the new CEO of Municipal for Violia North America. I recommend having a wonderful conversation with her. And she's also, she's on
1: my bucket list for a while.
0: <laughs> well, I can connect the two of you. I know her well. And Kimberly Kupaiki from DuPont. She is there. Um, she has a long title. I'm not going to nail it, but she's really does their communications, their partnerships. She's really active in the water space in a really big way. She, they will both be at Blue Tech Forum for you to know. And yeah, I can connect the two of you. But she's amazing and has so much to offer as well. Both of those women.
1: And this has been an incredible pleasure to chat with you. Of course, longer than you would have expected. (laughs) I'm sorry, I've been French again. If people want to follow up with you, where shall I redirect them? The best.
0: Sure. Uh, My website is just at luminousgroup.ca, and you can find me easily on LinkedIn.
1: And. Like always, the links to your website, the link to your web to, to your LinkedIn, that is, of course, in the show notes. So just have a look. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person now at, at the, the Bluetech Forum because you finalized my conviction that I will be on the <laughs> other side of the Atlantic. That's the first week of June, right?
0: Yes, June 7th and 8th.
1: Perfect. Then see you there. And thanks a lot.
0: It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GS Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time!